real quick to recap, last week we were at the end of chapter 1 of James and we were talking about being doers of the Word, not hearers only. We had a, the text gives us a good analogy to see of someone who looks into the mirror and sees that there needs to be changes and Roy so graciously came up and helped us with that showing some marks on his face, and he could see that in the mirror, knowing that he needs to do something about it. And so when he leaves, he has two choices. He can either do something about it, or he can continue to walk around with the stuff all over his face, and he decided to do something about it. The point was that from the Scriptures, we're to hear the Word of God, and we're to do something with what we hear. We're to repent, we're to believe, we're to increase our faith, we're to trust in God more. So as we talked about that, James ended up getting more specific with talking about true religion, specifically here, visiting the orphans and the widows and their afflictions and keeping ourselves from the world. So now James transitions into chapter 2, and that's what we're going to work through now. So starting in verse 1, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. A couple of things I want to say here. This idea, my brother, so again, talking to the church here. So, by extension, talking to us here. So I'm saying, my brothers and sisters, James is saying, my brothers, do not show partiality. Don't do it. This word here, this partiality, it has this meaning in the Greek of to receive one's face. Okay? So kind of, don't take it at just face value what's there. Okay, don't just, don't just say, oh, look at this person's face. I bet you that's all I need to know about them is just I can see it right in their face. That's not true. Okay? As you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So one thing that we know here is that these people understand. They are believers. They understand the gospel. They hold to the faith, but... They're doing something wrong, apparently, that James feels he needs to point out. And he ends his first verse with the Lord of glory, talking about Christ. Now, real quick, if you don't understand this or you didn't know this, understand that Jesus is the Lord of glory. God the Father, Lord of glory. Holy Spirit, Lord of glory. This is the idea. This is the Trinity. Okay, This is saying that God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit... They are the same in essence, but different in persons. We were singing that with the holy, holy, holy. Okay, this is a deep concept, but we need to understand that Jesus isn't less, less than God. He's not something different. No, he's God in his essence. And that's why he is the Lord of glory as well. So he, and remember, God already says he doesn't share his glory with anybody, does he? Is God just going to give out glory to everybody else? He's the only one who deserves glory. So if Jesus is the Lord of glory, by extension, he has to be God, okay? So that's just a side note that I wanted to point out there. All right, so he's saying, don't, do not show partiality. Okay, so what's going on? What are they doing? James continues, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, stop there, okay? Real quick, this idea of assembly. Two possibilities here that I do want to share with you. Traditionally, people would, would interpret this to say the assembly, what we have here today. Okay, so the, the picture would be, uh, uh, you know, not just somebody with a ring, because again, there's quite a few of us who have that. But somebody, maybe the, the nicest suit, I don't know, Armani suit, comes in, gold everywhere, pulled up in a limo, perhaps, okay, coming in the door. That's more of what it's talking about. And again, on the other side, shabby clothing. We've seen that before. Ripped clothes, maybe dirty, 
hair matted some, who knows. If they both come into this assembly, he's going to talk about how we should act. Okay? The other option, which I just want to throw this out there, I think the point's going to be the same, but I ultimately want to say that if you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 in particular, Paul's talking about uh, lawsuits between believers. And he's saying, don't go to the court system. Don't go outside the church to settle something between believers. You should be able to settle it inside the church. If there's an issue going on, someone's been dishonest, something's got to happen, what should happen is believers should come to the church and we should handle it. Okay? Now again, if it's something that's, that's broken the law, then of course the authorities have to get involved. No doubt. But again, some dispute, some issue, we should be able to handle that here. So it could be that this text is saying, if you're going to have one of those scenarios where there's an issue between two people, a rich man and a poor man, don't show this guy special treatment because he's rich and this guy because he's poor, put him over there. It could mean that courtroom scenario in the church where we're doing that, but I think it's more the general assembly. But I want to just make sure you know that there's those two options out there. So either way, here's the point. We're to treat them equally. Gold ring, fine clothing, they come in. Verse 3. And if you pay attention to the one who wears fine clothing and say, you sit here in the good place. Okay? This is, this is a danger, and I don't think we necessarily realize it. This can be those who have money, the rich person, or have power, clout perhaps. Oh, oh, the the mayor's here. Oh, man. Hey, come. Yeah, excuse me. Get, get out of my way. I don't know you. Come here. Yeah, come on. Yeah, we got a great seat for you right here. This is the best spot right here. Okay? Or the, the president? Does it matter? If we're in the church, does it matter? What's so amazing about the gospel, what's so amazing about the word of God and the gospel in grace is it's the great equalizer. There's no one better than the other. We're all sinners lost needing grace. We don't do that. We don't show somebody because, hey, they might get something for us. There might be something else in it for us. If this person comes in, we might get a little extra tithe. All right. No. That's not how it's to be. We don't give that person a special place just because of what we we see on the outside. Remember, in 1 Samuel 16, when God is choosing David, what happens? There's others that should be chosen here. God says, uh, man looks out the outside. I look at the heart. And that's what we need to see too. While you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. Wow. I know that we probably wouldn't actually say that to somebody, probably. But I do think that we might if somebody came in and they sat down, get a little uncomfortable perhaps. If they were poor, shabby clothing, ripped jeans. Oh, who's that person? I don't know. I hope it's not the case. But I, I, my hope is that we would target that new person just like we target the one who has nice clothing. doesn't make a difference to us. We're just happy that you're here to worship the Lord and hear the gospel. doesn't matter. That's the hope, okay? But apparently, in James' time... They weren't doing that. Apparently, they were showing favoritism based upon the clothing. So listen to what James says, verse 4. 
Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? He's telling you what you do if you do this. If we're doing this at any point where we look at somebody and we write them off because of the way their outward appearance looks, what we're doing is we're judging with evil thoughts. And it's sin. And we have to be careful with that. We do not want to be that type of people. We do not want to be that type of church. Verse 5, Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which He has promised to those who love Him? So now he moves, James moves to say, listen, what's interesting about what you're doing is you're kind of treating the poor person as he's not important when really... Throughout Scripture, what we, what we continually see is really the poor is who the Gospel's for. Now again, it is for all people, no doubt, but there's a special emphasis continually on those who are poor. They need the Gospel. They respond to the Gospel. Why, think for a second, why in the world would poor people tend to respond to the Gospel easier than those who have money? Think. Why would poor people respond to the Gospel? Because sometimes, I think, those of us who have money, and remember, before when we were having this conversation just a couple weeks ago, between the poor and the rich, we are the richest Christians to ever exist. So be careful with this as we're working through this. But rich people, why is it so hard for rich people to have genuine faith? A lot of it is because we can depend on ourselves. We can depend on the money we make. Food's going to be there. We can depend on the insurance we have, health care. We can depend on so many other things that we don't have to cry out to God. Now, it's a misunderstanding. Certainly, God is still over all of those things. But it's a misunderstanding. And so what happens is sometimes we lean on ourselves and our education, our status, other things. And poor people don't have that generally. And so they have to cry out to God. So here's the trick for us as a church and in this culture as some of the richest Christians ever. Don't fall into that. Don't fall into that. Don't fall into that trap that we don't need God in everything. We need Him in everything. Verse 6, But you have dishonored the poor man. And then he says, an interesting thing, Are not the rich ones who oppress you And the ones who drag you into court, verse 7, are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? You're showing honor, more honor to this person who's rich who's coming in, and that's the ones who are actually causing trouble for you. But you're thinking now, oh, I'm going to buddy up to them because they've come into the church and things are going to get better. He's saying you're missing the point on so many different levels. It's really those that are causing these issues, especially in James' time. Okay. So we see that. There's some things that we can work through, even in our own lives. Now let's transition to the next section. I think it's going to get interesting here for us. Verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. First, what I want to say is if you really fulfill the law, the royal law according to Scripture, what's the royal law? What does that royal law mean? As I was working through this, I was like, what does the royal law mean? Royal seems to come with the idea of a king. Who's the king? Jesus is the king, right? Jesus is the king. His law. Now what? We have the law of the Old Testament, certainly. 
But Jesus talks about the law and he says, I'm going to summarize it for you. So I'm going to tell you what the whole law and prophets are about. Let me hear, if you can, tell me, what does Jesus say? Love the Lord. The second is just like it. As yourself. So that's what the text says. So right here, this royal law, I think is what it's saying here, is Jesus, is he, the way he summarizes the law of the Old Testament. Now, it's included in the Old Testament, but it's Jesus' summary of the whole thing. Okay, Because again, remember, when Jesus says that, he's taking that out of Leviticus and Deuteronomy when he's saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He's taking that from the Old Testament, but he's explaining it further and saying, this is the royal law, do this. So if we fulfill that, we're doing well. So this is an area where we could possibly rejoice. Hey, I think I'm loving my neighbor as myself. Praise God. Praise God. If we're fulfilling that, then it's encouraging. We can be encouraged. That's what James is saying. But watch what he does now. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as a transgressor. Okay. Now here's where it gets very interesting for us. Let's look at this closely. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point, has become accountable for all of it. Sometimes we'll talk about, are all sins equal? Are all sins equal? I want you to think on it for a second. Are all sins equal? Well, one point here, if I break even, if I fail in one point, I'm guilty of all of it. Interesting. This is why, for those who think, I'm going to do good works, I've got my scale here, and my good works are on this side, and my bad works are on this side, and I'm pretty sure that my good works are going to outweigh my bad works, so I'm going to go to heaven, because I'm pretty much a good person. This is why this just falls apart. Because if you're Guilty in one point of the law? You've broken all of it. The point here that James is making is even one sin, even one, let's say you just had one, which would be incredible, but let's just say you had only one. Okay? Even that one means you've broken God's law. And so the effect is the same as someone who has to a degree, follow me for a minute, as somebody who's broken a million of God's laws, it's going to be the same in the sense you are eternally separated from God. You have no chance. You need grace. You need the gospel. You need Jesus' sacrificial death in your place for your sins to be saved, whether you sin once or a million times. It's the same in that sense. Are you tracking with me? So, as a way of thinking about it, Sometimes you'll hear the idea of sin is missing the mark. Okay, and sometimes there'll be the idea of an archery. Okay, so you have a bow, you have your arrow, and then you have the target. Okay, and when we sin, what happens is we shot our arrow and we just, we miss the target. And that's what sin is. Okay, that's sometimes how people refer to it. Well, that's fine, it can be helpful, but if you have the target here, if you were to hit it, that would be obeying the law, okay? That would be fulfilling what we're to do. And if you miss it, it's a sin, okay? So if you miss it, it's sin. Well, here's the thing. I want you to picture, see this beautiful stained glass we have in here? Praise God, right? Beautiful stained glass. I want you to picture for a second 
this target, but behind the target is just this one gigantic piece of glass. Gigantic piece of glass. It's beautiful. Maybe it's, you know, some of the stained glass, some of these colors that we've seen here, okay? But it's one gigantic piece, and you have the target in the center. If you were to hit the target, fine, the glass is going to be okay. If you shoot the arrow and you miss the target, you hit this one big piece of glass, and guess what happens to the glass? It shatters. That's what's going on here. Even if it's just one arrow that you shoot and you miss, you've broken the whole thing. Does that make sense? That's what's going on with the, with the law there. So then the second question is, well, are all sins, di- are, are they equal or are they different in some other ways? I want to share a few things with you. Proverbs 6. It should be up on the board, but you can turn there if you want to. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. I want to share this with you. <clears throat> Proverbs 6, starting in 16. Listen to what this says. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him. Haughty eyes, pride. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that make haste to run to evil. Ultimately, that's the idea of sin or evil that you want to do and you just keep doing it. That unrepentant, I'm just going to keep doing this. A false witness who breathes out lies. And look at this one. And one who sows discord among brothers. That's going into things concerning the, even the church where you're sowing discord by being discontent or gossiping or whatever. We have to be very careful. This is saying the Lord hates these things. So if you think, well, God doesn't hate anything. God's love. He is love. And the fact that He is love and He's just shows and He's holy that He hates certain things. And these are some of them. In John 19, 11 and 12, Jesus is talking about Judas and He says that Judas has a greater sin. In Matthew eleven twenty through 24 Jesus is going through and he's explaining that there were some towns that he had gone to and he was performing miracles. And guess what? The people were not believing. And he says, ultimately, you know what he says? He says, hmm, it's going to be worse for you than it was for Sodom. Do you remember Sodom and Gomorrah's story? It's going to be worse for you on the day of judgment because I've come through and I'm performing these miracles, the Son of God, and you're rejecting there is an idea in Scripture of different levels of hell, if you will. Different punishments. Here's the thing. Is all sin equal? Yes and no. Yes in the sense of one arrow breaks the whole thing and you're separated from God forever and you have no chance without the gospel, without the good news of Jesus Christ. Yes. But there, is actually, there are some sins that are more heinous. And I think we understand that today, right? If I'm here with George and I kind of slap him, right? That's bad. That's bad. Or I spit on him, disrespect. That's bad. But in general, if I pull out a gun and shoot him, that's going to be a little worse, right? I think we, we all agree with that, that that's worse. Okay, the same is true with our sin with God. There are sins that, if you will, when we're shooting, they really miss the mark. They, now again, all the same, breaks the glass, separates us from God. Hitler, He's going to have to give an account. 
Okay? There are people compared to his life did not do things like that. They both will be separated from God if they're not in Christ. They both will be in hell. No question. But the punishment that one will receive versus the other, that's part of what will stand before the throne of Jesus and he'll, div- he'll divvy out that. Okay? So realize that there is a difference. Yes, they're the same, but also no, they're not exactly the same in their essence. They're different in that sense. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me on that? Okay. So with that, go back to James. As we're showing partiality when, we're, or when we shouldn't be, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point is accountable for it. That's what James is explaining here. Because here's why. He moves into explaining why. Check this out. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have been a transgressor of the law. What's interesting that he chooses those two things. He could have chosen anything as far as sin. He chose those two. Those are the most extreme cases, I think, right? How unloving can I be to my neighbor to, number one, kill them? Right? That's pretty unloving. He uses that, which is interesting to draw, draw our, I think, attention to the severity of this, of our sin. And then the other one he chooses is adultery. Nothing will get you killed quicker than doing that. But again, isn't that the ultimate sin against a neighbor? To go in and take their spouse and commit adultery with them when there should be trust as neighbors? It's interesting that James uses this. One more thing that I want to say about our target that we were aiming for. It's interesting. It's not like it's an accidental thing in the sense of, well, I'm trying to hit it, but I just accidentally miss. Yes, there are those sins that we do that are by accident. We're not aware of sometimes, especially before we, get, you know, we start to learn God's Word. But what's interesting about sin is a lot of the time it's an active decision that we're doing. So now check this out. If we shoot those arrows at the target and we're missing and it's hitting the law, you know, it's breaking this, this big piece of glass we have, here's what I want you to see for a second. When those arrows go by, envision this. In essence, they're hitting the sun. They're hitting Jesus. Because here's what's happening. He has to pay for those sins. He pays for those sins. Because in God's plan, that's what he's done. So he's paid for those sins on the cross. So a way of, I think that we can look at it that may be helpful is, Jesus is saying, here, I'll stand here and shoot. And if they go in here, that's my mission for you because I love you. And we can take comfort in that, that he's willing to do that. But now watch this and track with me on this for a second. What about if this was your son, your child that's taken those arrows from people? Boom, boom. Now, this was hard. I'm not kidding. I wept over the scriptures for our congregation when I thought of this this week. Imagine standing there, people are going to shoot these arrows, and here's the thing. This unrepentant sin that we've been talking about, it's shooting the arrows like this. Oh, I see the target. I know what the word says. I hear it, but I'm not going to do it. So here's what I do. I take my arrow, and I see that, and I see the sun. And I let go, and I shoot 
I missed the target on purpose. How would that make you feel? That's what's happening. With unrepentant sin, here's what you're saying. Yeah, I see what you want me to do, God. I hear it. I'm not going to do it. I don't love you enough to even try. And ultimately, because that is a love that comes from God, if you don't have that love inside of you, that you're not even going to try, that's where I think the Scriptures are showing us that you don't have that love inside of you yet. You haven't tasted that. Because if you're willing to just purposely miss the mark and just continue to sin, loved one, please reconsider where you are with God. Let's finish up here. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Okay? This is where it gets encouraging, hopefully. You aren't like that. You're not under this law anymore. You're not, you don't have to fulfill the law. Jesus already has done that for you. He's perfect. He can fulfill the law. You can't. So, live like you're under the law of liberty. What does liberty mean? Let me hear. What does liberty mean? Freedom. freedom. We're under the law of freedom. Like what, what kind of law is that? What does that mean? We've been taken from our bondage to sin under the law and given now a law of freedom, which means this law says you are free to love God with everything that you have. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, all your possessions, everything. You are free to love God with those things. You're free. You can do it. Guess what? Over here, under the law, you can't do it. Not even possible. Because you don't have God's Spirit yet. You're still under the law. You can't do it. Over here, you can do it. You're free. Here's the other thing. You're free to love one another. You're free to, what's the point here? Show mercy to one another. Roy can wrong me. I'm free to forgive him. I don't have to hold it against him. I'm free. I'm free to not be angry with you. I don't have to be angry. The world, guess what? Has to be angry. Because the world has nothing else. They haven't tasted love. They haven't tasted mercy. We have. We're free. This is the law of liberty. Christ has set us free. Let us live that way. Don't put yourself under the yoke of slavery, bondage to sin. Listen to this, how this, this closes. For judgment, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. What is mercy? What is mercy? Think for a second. What is mercy? What is mercy in relation to forgiveness? What is mercy in relation to grace? Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. That's mercy. Sometimes this word for mercy, it's the same. It's uh, compassion. So here's the question that we have to consider. Are we showing compassion to others? Are we showing mercy Maybe they don't deserve mercy, but guess what? No one does. We don't deserve mercy. 
It's the opposite of it. That doesn't add up. You don't deserve mercy. It's something that's given by usually those who have authority over you. Someone sins against you. You have the kind of authority over them at that point because they're coming to you for forgiveness and you can either grant it or not. You're free to give mercy. And if you can't give mercy, if you're unable to do so, then my question is, have you ever tasted mercy? Have you ever tasted forgiveness? Jesus talks about this in a parable of the wicked servant. We won't read it today, but uh, maybe on Wednesday we'll go through it, where he shows that this wicked servant didn't get it, was forgiven this huge debt, and then held these little debts against others. Can't be the case, guys. If we do not show mercy, compassion, when we are judged by Christ, he will show us no mercy. Well, I thought, I thought Christians are saved. I thought we're okay. If you're a real Christian, you're going to show mercy because you've tasted it. You're going to show compassion. Do people think we're compassionate? Does that define us maybe as a church? Are people like, oh, they're such a compassionate people? Or is it they're such a judging people without mercy? Again, ultimately, we are only concerned ultimately with what God thinks. He knows our hearts. He doesn't just see the outside. But it's something to ask ourselves, are we working on this? Are we growing in this? Are we merciful? But here's how it ends, and this is where it's super encouraging. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. There is no judgment. There's going to be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no judgment for you if you're in Christ in the sense that there will be mercy with that judgment. That judgment's going to come and it's going to be, yes, you deserve this. This is what you should get. Eternal punishment in hell, separation from God. That's what you should get. And then God steps in, Christ steps in and says, but there's mercy and that trumps that judgment. And that's what we rejoice in. That's what we rejoice in. Let me end with this. Mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. Here's grace. God giving us what we don't deserve. And what's so amazing is we get both. We get both. We don't. We receive mercy and we don't get hell, death, separation from God. And we do get grace and not only are we forgiven, which is incredible, we're given righteousness, which we don't deserve. That actually shows we're not guilty. It's not that it's just been forgiven, which is incredible enough, right? You're forgiven this debt, but you were guilty of it. No, no. In Christ, you're not guilty. And let's go a step further in God's richness and his grace. And you're not guilty. Here's the righteousness of my son. And you're in my family, adopted into God's family. And now you will rule and reign with Christ forever. Amen. That's grace. Mercy and grace. I ask you guys to come on up. I'm going to close in prayer here. And here's how we respond. There's a lot of different ways possibly that uh, you, God may be leading you by his spirit to respond. But here's what I want us to really think through as we're going to pray. The time of invitation here. Response. Are you showing partiality? Are there things in your life? Are there areas where you are just literally shooting the arrow, trying to miss the target? 
it's a great time to repent from that and say, Lord, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to rejoice in mercy. Are you showing mercy to others? Great time to repent and say, Lord, I'm not. I have not been merciful. I have not been compassionate. But Lord, by your Spirit, help me do that. At the same time, there may be some of you in here who have never tasted mercy. You've never tasted grace. You can taste that today. You don't have to walk out of here without that. You can, give, you can do it from your chair. You can come up here. It doesn't matter. You can cry out to God and say, have mercy on me, a sinner. And He will. Everybody who calls out to the Lord, everybody will be saved. Let's pray. Father, I love You and I thank You for my friends. I thank You for my family here. I pray that You would continue to lead us, continue to encourage us, continue to teach us of Your endless mercy and Your everlasting grace. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now you'd work in our hearts and help us to respond the way you would have us respond. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.